0: So right now we are concluding our series, uh, Context, with looking at some famous passages in the Bible and discovering their true context, taking a deeper dive into them. Uh, this is the last summer series before Pastor Brad comes back from the sabbatical, So He'll be back next week. Can't wait. He's going to be fired up. And I just want to take a moment just to say thanks for letting me have a chance to speak into your life this way over the last few weeks. Uh, it has been a blast for me. I really had a chance. to. I really enjoyed it. Uh, but I'm also anxious to strap on a guitar again and uh, do that. I was glad not to have to do it this morning with all the crazy stuff happening in the sound, but uh, hopefully next week we get that fixed away and uh, we to be happy uh, to have everyone kind of back where they belong, so to speak. But I just want to say thanks for letting me do this. Uh, Context has been a, a great series. We've been looking into some scriptures that, uh, you know, we, we kind of typically interpret one way and just getting a deeper understanding of it doesn't mean we kick out the old interpretation, but we try to get more depth more breadth to our understanding. Today's scripture is one, maybe that's not quite as instantly known, but the theme of it is probably when you've heard your entire life, if you've been in church and you've, you've heard the scripture in one form or another. So today we're going to be in the book of John. We're going to be in John chapter 14 and in verse 14. So John chapter 14, verse 14, and it simply says this, this is Jesus talking. He says, you may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. So, Father, we come before you this morning, and we're so grateful, Lord, to be in your house. We just open up our heart right now to hear what you would say. God, speak to us this morning. God, speak truth and speak life into us, God. And I just pray that, that when we leave today, God, we would just have a deeper understanding of your heart and your love for us. And, Lord, that you would challenge us and you would push us this morning. And, God, that you would bring that information, God, the transformation into our hearts and to our lives. And we thank you. If you're ready to hear from God this morning, would you give me a big amen? Amen. Awesome. Well, uh, before I get into my message, I just want to take just a quick second to acknowledge my mom is in the house uh, today. That's why I wore a jacket. Because um, when I grew up, I mean, if you showed up without either a tie, you know, if you showed up without a tie or a jacket or slacks, I mean, that was was a thump on the head, you know. Um, So also because of that, I've never made a joke about my upbringing, or I've never made that joke. All right, everybody, you with me? Um, Just when you see my mom, Daniel never talks about that. He never uses that for sermon illustrations. All right, you good? Everyone, thank you guys. All right, let's get into today's message. So, um, have you ever uh, had something that was over-promised and under-delivered? Someone over-promised something and under-delivered? You know, politicians, Politicians are known. I mean, regardless of what side of the aisle you fall on, whether you have an R, or a D, an I, some crazy other party that you belong to, whatever party you belong to, your politician has overpromised and he has under delivered at one point or another. Athletes over promise and deliver all the time. You know, I'm going to win all these rings, I'm going to be the greatest player since, you know, this player, the greatest player it was, they, you know, have some lame career that never makes up, they over promise and under deliver you know we have uh businesses and in business i mean i was in sales for a long time in business development and that was the key sin in business was to over promise and under deliver if you do that for too long it was a fancy business term that happens to you when you over promise and under deliver for too long that fancy business term is you become unemployed and It's just you don't have a job anymore if you over promise and you under deliver marketing does this all the time over you walk down the diet aisle you know, every diet I can walk out, it's like these pills will make you look like Chris Evans, make you look like Captain America, and I continue to look like Chris Farley. You know, it's like overpromise and under deliver. You know, even toothbrushes. I bought toothbrushes the other day, and there's so many marketing buzzwords on toothbrushes. It's like, this toothbrush, 360 clean, cavity-fighting, ginger, you know, it's like, wow, it's just a toothbrush. People says so you don't have to put that many buzzwords to sell a toothbrush, I just need a toothbrush. Overpromise and under You can even do this in your personal. Life, you can overpromise and underdeliver one. I met my wife and we dated. I was studying to be a pharmacist. I was gonna make lots of money. Overpromise, <laughs> under <Under-delivered. laughs> So when we read a scripture, like John 14, 14, says Jesus says, You ask me for anything in my name, and I'm going to do it. Doesn't it seem like Jesus is guilty of this? That he's guilty of overpromising and under delivering. Because all of us in this place, all of us, Christ follower, I would venture to say, all of us in this place have dealt with the pain, the hurt, the sting, the disappointment of unanswered prayer. And I don't even think I need to open that up and give you all these examples because I think for most of us in this place, we can instantly go in our head to a time we prayed that God would do something. Maybe we begged that God would do something for us And he did not do it. And we look at a scripture like John 14, 14, where Jesus says, ask me anything in my name and I will do it. And we say, Jesus, you are guilty of over-promising and under-delivering. Because what about the time that I prayed for this? What about the time that I asked you for that? What about this? And what about that? And so today we are going to take the best that we can, we're going to take a dive into prayer. And even more specifically, now we're going to ask some tough questions about prayer. About why God answers some prayer, He doesn't answer other prayers. About why do we do this prayer thing, about what prayer really is. And this is so important that we do this in this series, because we've looked at some verses where, you know, we've kind of twisted those verses maybe for our own gain. we looked at some verses like that, but what do we do with verses that just sometimes don't make sense? What do we do with verses that not only sometimes don't make sense, but seem to set us up for disappointment? To set us up for the disappointment of God not doing what it seems like is so clear in his word that he says he was going to do. You ask me my name, I'm going to do it. But yet all of us know times, you can name the time, you can name the place, God, I asked you, and you did not do it. And so it's going to be so important for us to see what do we do with these verses? What do we do with them? This is why it's so important, church, that we cannot build our theology on one single verse. We cannot build the foundation of our faith on a single verse because none of these verses are meant to stand in a vacuum. None of these verses are meant to just suck it out of its, its passage and just build everything on that. Because if you build your theology on one single verse, if you build it on something like John 14, 14, where it says, Ask my name and I'll do it. When he doesn't do it, the entire foundation of your faith crumbles. And I think all of us, either maybe, maybe you been push to the brink of your own faith by a of prayer. But I think many of us in this room can think of someone or know someone that has walked away from their faith because God didn't answer a prayer. They walked away from their faith because they prayed for a relative, or they prayed for a miracle, they prayed for a situation, and God didn't do it, they walked away from their faith. So we're going to take a comprehensive look at this thing called prayer today, we're going to ask some tough questions. This is not a message where by the end of the message, we put some nice bow on it, and we're able to twist and tie it all up and say, now we understand everything there is to know about prayer. This is a messy message today. This is a message that may have more questions than answers. This is a message where at the end of it, there's, there's still some I don't know, and there's still some ambiguity in it, and, and just some things that don't get tied up. And we have to be okay with that, because it's just going to be, one, it's just impossible so for us to cover it in this amount of time, but two, this is something that I think we wrestle with for a lifetime, of why God operates the way he does, and why things happen sometimes and don't happen the other time. And so this is not something that's going to answer all of these, but we're gonna dive in, and we're gonna try to take a look at what Jesus is saying here in this because tough questions do not warrant easy answers. Tough questions do not warrant easy answers. And how cheap would our faith be if all the tough questions were answered so easily? But tough questions, they warrant answers that we have to wrestle with, that we have to chew on, that we have to think about, that we have to struggle with. At times, and this is, today is going to be one of those days where we ask a lot of tough questions, and there's no easy answers to this. And even at the end of this, you may leave more confused than when you came in. That's okay, because today is going to be a day where we really try to wrestle with some tough questions. So when I read John 14:14, 14, 14, there's three questions that come to my mind as I read this passage. Once again, you may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. So three questions pop into my mind when I read this. The first one is this: What does anything mean? So, like, does anything mean anything? Like, can I literally ask for anything? If you guys seen that State Farm commercial, like, a good neighbor, State Farm, is like, is it like that? Or like, a good neighbor, Jesus is there. You know, it's like, can I get a hot tub, Jesus? You know, it's like, that whole thing, can I get anything that I want? You know, does anything mean anything? Or how do I know then if anything doesn't mean anything, if it has caveats and it has conditions, and terms? out how do I know what things are okay to ask for and what things aren't okay to ask for? What does anything mean? actually mean when Jesus says you can ask me for anything. So that's the first question I have when I look at this passage. Second question I have when I look at this passage is why doesn't God answer my prayer? You said, you ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. But all of us in this place, we've had experiences where he did not do it. Where he did not answer the prayer. Where it did not come through. So the question then when look at that is why doesn't God answer those prayers? How does God choose what prayers get answered what prayers don't get answered. Does he have some big gold coin in heaven that he flips? It's like, hence your prayers get answered, you know, does he have some sort of system? Or is, well, how does God answer our prayers? And the other thing on that, you know, so maybe God doesn't answer a prayer that I know is like really selfish and stupid, you're know, like, God, I pray that this is the winning model to get, you know? It's like, maybe God's not gonna answer that prayer, and I kind of get that. But what about when I pray for something that's really obviously in God's will? Like, what about when I pray for someone to be healed? I mean, isn't God a healing God? What about when I pray for someone to be saved? Isn't God someone that wants people to be saved? What about when I pray for something to be restored? Isn't God a God of restoration? If something is clearly and obviously in God's will, wouldn't it make sense that he would answer those prayers? So what do I do then when I pray for something that seems like it's good, and maybe it's not coming from a selfish place, it's coming from a really pure place, but God still doesn't answer that prayer? So the third question I have when I wrestle with this scripture is, so then, if God's already decided on what he's going to do, so if God already knows his will and he already knows what's going to happen and all this, God already knows what's going to happen, why do I even have to pray in the first place? If God's already decided everything, what does he mean by prayer for? Isn't everything ultimately just kind of decided and done for? And, and so why does God even ask me to pray? What's the point? What's the point of praying if he already knows? And then Playing that out to its fullest extent, then is prayer ultimately meaningless? If God already knows everything He's going to do, does His prayer even mean That's that's just we're like getting real Eeyore, you know, like His prayer is this meaningless. We're really getting depressed right now. I can feel it, it's okay. Hang with me, guys. It's going to get better. But but this is a heavy conversation today. This is these are heavy questions, heavy topic. We're going to take a hard look at prayer today, and I want I want to say this later, but bear saying now that we can never reduce prayer to a formula or equation or some simple three-step process because that's not what prayer is about. That's not what today is going to be about. So if at the end of this thing, you're hoping that Daniel gives you, it's like three easy steps to God, always answering your prayers. Give me your credit card. But give me, you know, that the whole thing. Not what happened today. And that's not what we're after today. We're going to look at what prayer is. My goal, my hope for you is that this doesn't leave you with answers, but, but that you start a discussion Maybe it's a discussion you have with your spouse, maybe it's a discussion you have with your family, maybe it's your core circle or your core group, but, but that you have an environment where, where you can discuss some of these things you can wrestle through some of the pain of your own unanswered prayers. You can wrestle through some of the pain of your own times where you wonder, what the heck are you doing, God? So today we're going to need those three tools that we've been talking about through this entire series to evaluate the context, to examine scripture with scripture and then to apply it to life. We're gonna need these more than ever today because we're wrestling with some serious stuff. So what we're gonna do today, is we're gonna go through the context of John 14, 14. We're gonna examine the idea of prayer. We're gonna look at scripture and see what scripture says about prayer. And then we're gonna circle back around to these three questions and we're gonna try to give them some answers. We're gonna try to look at them a little more closely. So are you guys ready to get into this today? Awesome. So here we go. Let's start by looking at the context of John 14, 14. So the book of John was written by John. John. All right, smart crowd with me today. The book of John was written by John, not John the Baptist, but John the disciple. John the disciple is probably the closest disciple to Jesus. He called himself the disciple that Jesus loved, which I'm sure none of the other disciples thought was super arrogant, but that's the way John rolled. And so John uh, wrote the book of John. And so each one of the gospel writers, by the way, had a theme that they were trying to push towards as they wrote their gospel he kind of had an overarching message or overarching uh, theme and push of their gospel in the book of john was written john was trying to prove that jesus is the son of god so when john wrote the gospel of john his, his push his theme was to show that jesus was in the father the father was in jesus same guy jesus god same thing so that was kind of john's push as he wrote the book of John, it's important for us to keep in mind. So we get to chapter 14, and we see a glimpse of a conversation that Jesus is getting ready, that Jesus is having with his disciples. Now, this is right before he's getting ready to be crucified, and right before he's getting ready to leave them physically. So it's kind of this real, it's, it's a glimpse of this intimate moment that Jesus is having with his disciples. This conversation is a long one. It goes on, it starts in chapter 14, and goes all the way through chapter 17. And so we see almost like these last instructions that Jesus is giving to the disciples before he's getting ready to be gone from them physically. And once again, this push that I think the reason John shows us this conversation is because he's trying to illustrate that Jesus is the Son of God. And so the conversation starts when Philip, one of the other disciples, asks Jesus, hey Jesus, if you could show us the Father, that would be great. You know, it's like, that would be great. If you could just show us the Father and reveal the Father to us, that would be all we need. We would be good from there. And then Jesus says to him, Philip, If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If if you've seen me, then you've seen the Father. If you've seen the Father, you know, it's like we're the same guy, is what Jesus is saying. And Jesus explains, you know, that, that they're one. And then Jesus goes on to say that the work that he's done, so the miracles, the acts that he's done, is evidence of who he is in the Father and who the Father is in him. So once again, John includes this in his gospel because he's trying to illustrate Jesus is the Son of God. So we pick it up in verse 12 out of chapter 14. And then Jesus goes on to say, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these crazy, that that Jesus is saying, you're going to do greater things than I was doing, because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son, you may ask me for anything in my name, And I will do it. So once again, Jesus knows he's getting ready to lead the disciples physically. And so he's giving them these instructions before he leaves. And he's preparing them for this awesome work. He's told them, you guys are getting ready to do something greater than what I'm doing. Well, What could they do that was possibly greater than Jesus? I mean, this is Jesus we're talking about here. Raise the dead, heal the sick. And they're Jesus we're talking about here. But I believe the work that Jesus was talking about, is the same work John was pushing towards, the same reason why he included this in the scripture and that work is this, that Jesus began the work of revealing who the Father is. And he began the work of revealing to humanity who God the Father is. And that was the work that Jesus started. Jesus is saying, you're going to continue on in that work. And the work that you're getting into is greater than I'm doing because I'm one man. Jesus was one God, but the disciples and and the impact they would make, he knew that that would scatter throughout the entire known world. That these men, these fishermen, and these tax collectors were getting ready to take the greatest news ever, the gospel and the hope of Jesus Christ, and continue Jesus' work of revealing the Father, revealing the character, revealing the heart of Father God throughout the entire known world. And that's the work that Jesus started, and that's the work that the disciples would have to an even greater impact. Then Jesus did. That's why you and I are sitting in this room here today is because of the work of these fishermen and these tax collectors. You can imagine the fear. You can imagine the uncertainty that these guys must have faced. Like we're gonna do what? You're gonna go where? You're leaving us? Why? And I can just see. That's why Jesus says to them, "Hey, whatever you need to accomplish this work, whatever you need to make my Father great, whatever you need to glorify." His name, whatever you need to do that, to spread this news, I'm gonna give it to you. You ask me for anything that you need, and you're going to get it. You're going to have it. And that's why Jesus says this to them. And he knows how instrumental this idea of prayer is going to be towards his toward this work that the disciples are getting ready to do. He knows that they're not going to be able to do it without a reliance and adherence to this idea of prayer. So prayer is so important, we see that Jesus says, you ask me to prayer, you ask me and I will do it. So Jesus says, whatever you need for that work, I'm going to do. So let's look then at prayer, because if the disciples needed to pray to accomplish this work, surely we need to pray. And I think there's some things that matter to God when we pray. And I'm gonna go over this and we're gonna look at this idea of prayer, examining it with some other scripture because we can't build the whole foundation of prayer on John 14, 14, because all of us have already seen this through our life experience that doesn't work. So there has to be some more to prayer. There has to be some more things to it. So we're gonna look at prayer. We're gonna look at some things that matter to God when we pray. And this may be a checklist for some of you, by the way, that you look at this and say, wait, am I out of whack in this area? Am I out of line in this area? Maybe I need to get this right so that my prayer life can improve. So the first thing that matters to God when we pray is our relationships matter to God. When we pray, our relationships matter to God. In Mark 11, 25, Jesus talking, he says it this way. When you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them. So that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. See, we cannot come to God in prayer if we are out of line and out of sorts in our earthly relationships, especially with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We cannot approach God when we're out of line, out of sorts with people in our life, with those that we love, with brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus is clear multiple times in scripture, you go make the relationship right, you go make an effort to reconcile, you go offer forgiveness, you go offer reconciliation, you do what you need to do first, and then you come, and then you pray that relationships are supremely important to God when we pray, and I think the reason for this is that prayer is relational that one of the main reasons why God invites us into prayer is to establish and build relationship. And when we pray, we're building that relationship with God. But we can't have relationship with God the Father, God, then if we're out of relationship with his body, we're out of relationship with our brothers and sisters in Christ, if there's animosity or things going on, if we're holding and bitterness and hatred and resentment towards people, then how can we be in proper relationship with God the Father if we're not in relationship with one another? And Peter, he talks about how husbands, if you're out of line with your wife, then you're not going to get your answers, your prayers, answers. I think it's so true. If I'm mad at my wife, I can't come to God and expect God to do something for me. If I know I'm out of line with her, he's probably just going to look down at me and say, go make it right, stupid. No, go get it right first. Then come talk to me about it. Because I know what I have to do. And prayer is relational. And one of the big relationships we look at all of scripture with is the relationship of God the Father with us, his children, the parent, child, relationship. One of the biggest lenses we can look at, God's actions and God's intent through. And I think God looks down at us the same way we would look at our children. You know, if, I, if my children are fighting, mean I, you know, I have three children, if, if Olivia and Claire, my two daughters, are fighting with one another, and then one of them comes and asks you for candy, you ain't getting candy. You're just fighting with your sister. You need to make that right. You need to say you're sorry. You need to reconcile. You know, you need to fix that. Then maybe you can get some candy. But you have to get that right first. I think God the Father looks down and does it in the same way that it's a parent child thing. It's about relationship, and that's why if we're not in a relationship with one another, improper proper relationship, it can hinder our prayer. So relationships matter. Second, our motives matter. Our motives matter. When you ask, James 4 3 says this when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. That you may spend what you get on your pleasure. See, God examines our motives when we pray. Is it for us? Is it about improving? Just our lives is it about improving? Our status, our wealth, or is it about others? Is it about the kingdom? Is it about furthering that work that Jesus taught us about? That making the name great, the name of the Father, is it about glorifying God, or is it about what I want and advancing my cause and getting my will done? See, we can use prayer to assert our will into situations in order to assert our will over people. God, I pray that you do this, and you try to pray for a situation, but while you're praying for God's will, you're really just trying to pray for your best possible outcome. God, I pray that you change this person, or you really praying for that person to change because of what's best for them. You're praying for that person to change because you want them to behave more like you want them to behave. See, a lot of times we can use prayer to assert our will, and what that really is, is when we use prayer, we're using it as means of control. We're using it as means to get what I what I want, my way, my will. But prayer is not about that. Prayer is not about coming and trying to bend God's will to our will and getting him to do what we want him to do. But prayer is about coming to God and bending and submitting our will to his will. That we say, God, it's not about what I want, but God, it's about you want. And prayer is about not getting God to do what we want, but it's about submitting and submission is such a huge part of prayer. That's why Jesus said, pray in my name. It's an act of submission. Pray in my, you come under his name. It's an act of bending down and coming under the authority of God. And prayer is an act of submission. And so our motives matter. Are we doing this to benefit ourselves? Are we submitting to the will of God? Are we submitting to God's glory and to God's kingdom? And God will be glorified in all things. So our relationships matter. Our motives matter. Finally, our faith matters. Or faith matters. James 1, 6 7 says this, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. And faith is a crucial element, for maybe the most important element we've talked about so far. But faith is an element for its, many of the miracles Jesus performed hinge on the faith of your person. You read in Scripture, it says, you know, your faith has made you well, and, you know, because of your faith, it's been given to you. And so they hinge on on faith. And so the, the crazy thing is, there were times in Scripture where Jesus, Jesus, could not perform miracles because of a lack of faith, which is a strange thing. Jesus do everything, right? Well, there were times even Jesus was hindered by a lack of faith we see in mark chapter 6 verses 5 and 6 he jesus could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them and he was amazed at their lack of faith so faith is so important to come to god when we pray and i think this is why jesus said to pray for anything because it shows the kind of faith that we have to approach him with that he's the god of miracles that he's the god of the resurrection that we come before jesus and we believe god you can do anything God, nothing's impossible for you. You said to ask for anything, and we have to have an ask for anything kind of faith. We have to have that boldness of approach when we come to God. I don't know what it is about faith, but there's something about that that just attracts the heart of God. And when we have that faith, and we believe that he can do anything, and God gets God's ear. So that's the kind of faith that we have to approach him with. So, talk talked about our relationships, our motives, and our faith, and I think it's easy for us now at this point to say, okay, so Daniel, you know you're saying, my relationships are good, my motives are good, and I have faith that God's going to answer my prayer. No, because here's the deal: is you can have the best I motive. Mean you can just you can be walking in perfect harmony with everyone you know, even your dogs, walking in perfect harmony with everything you know. You could have the purest motives, just the, the most pure. You could you could have never you could, you could have not sinned since 1983. You you could have faith faith faithful person ever, you can do all these things and pray, God still not answered that prayer. And that prayer still go unanswered. And once again, we have to understand that prayer can never be reduced to a formula or an equation or some three-step process. Because if we do that, and if we, make, if we try to do that we say, okay, God, you're gonna, I'm going to make God do everything I need. I'm gonna, he's always going to answer our prayer. We put him in that position. What happens is we actually switch places with God. We switch places with him. And God simply becomes a means to accomplish the end of our world and our desires, and our whatever we want. And if you always, always answer that prayer, and he always did, and we had it figured out, then it would be about accomplishing our will. And God cannot be boxed into a formula. He cannot be boxed into some easy-to-access thing. He's not a vending machine. He's not a genie. He's not Santa Claus. There's not some easy way for us to come and approach Him where it just works every time and we all God cannot be found that way. And we approach Him different every time. And so we cannot reduce prayer to that because God cannot be boxed in in that way. He will certainly not trade places. With us. He is not our second fiddle. He is not our accessory. He's Almighty God. We approach him with that kind of fear and with that kind of reverence. So, what does prayer look like? And what does the prayer of faith look like? When I believe, if you hear nothing else I say today, I want, I want you to hear this, when everyone's attention. is the most important thing I'll say is this. So, the prayer of faith, what prayer looks like this, is prayer is believing that God can do anything. Prayer is believing that God can. It's it's having the faith that God can, but also trusting what God does. The prayer of faith believes that God can and trusts what God does. See, I think too often times we have faith on only one side of the prayer. What I mean by that is, we have faith. God, you're going to heal the cancer. God, you're going to give us the financial breakthrough. God, you're going to set that person free. God, you're going to break the addiction. God, you're going to save my grandpa. God, you're going to do this. You're going to save. You're going to heal. And then when the answer comes, our faith then is dependent on what God did. And and we know this because so many people walk away because they say, well, I prayed for so-and-so and it didn't happen. I prayed for the miracle and it didn't happen. I prayed for the financial breakthrough and it didn't happen. And the faith on the backside of the prayer is dependent on the answer. But I believe that the true prayer of faith happens when we believe that God can. When we know that he's a miracle working God. When we know that he's a God of resurrection. A God for whom all things are possible. That we believe that God can. But with equal faith. And maybe even stronger faith. And maybe even a stronger grasp on who he is. Then we look at him and say, but God, I trust what you do. And my faith is not tied to the answer. My faith is not tied to the result. My faith is not tied to the situation. But God, I believe that you can, but I trust what you do. I trust what you do. And that's what the prayer of faith is. True prayer is trusting God on both sides of the answer because prayer is about building that trust in Him. And if He always answered your prayer, would you ever really learn to trust him? If he always did what you want, if he always got you out of the jam, would you ever really learn to trust him? When, when I lost my father, I, I remember praying by his bedside. I remember reading scripture, and if anyone was in position to get a miracle, it was me, because I was a child. I prayed pray a child by faith. I was literally a child, so I should have been good. Anyone had the inroad to getting an answer to prayer it would have been me. I prayed, I prayed, saw him get sicker until he passed. And I'm not not sitting up here like some robot that says, you know, everything worked out. I would give anything to have him back. But I also know that I probably wouldn't be sitting here if I didn't have to walk through the things that I walked through, and I didn't have to trust in him through times when he didn't make sense. I didn't have to lean on him and lean on others to develop my faith in God through unanswered prayers. And I'm not saying that's a perfect answer. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying there there is something that happens in your walk with God. There's there's a depth when when you have to walk through when when the prayers don't be answered and when things don't make sense. Sometimes it brings more glory to God for you to walk through the trial and for you to walk through the unanswered prayer, for you to walk through the thing that doesn't make sense, than it would if you just drop some miracle onto you. You think you want the miracle. You think you just whoop, you didn't want the instant answer. But sometimes it takes. It gives more glory to God. Sometimes God is more glorified when you learn to trust Him through the adversity. When you learn to trust Him through the things that don't make sense. Church, I pray. I have prayed so many things. I pray for financial breakthroughs. I pray for healing. In my family, the people I love that did not come instantly, and I wanted it to come so bad, but sometimes there's something about having to trust God through the pain and through the disappointment that develops something in you that would not be developed otherwise. See, the good news about unanswered prayer is you are in really good company when your prayers don't go answered. Did you know that three of the most influential, three of the most important people in the Bible did not get their prayers answered? King David, and King David, guy who wrote the Psalms, King David prayed for his son to be healed, and God did not answer that prayer. The Apostle Paul wrote two-thirds of the New, of the New Testament. Paul prayed for this thorn in his flesh that he wrote about in the second 2 Corinthians. He said, There's a thorn in my flesh. I prayed three times for it to be removed. God did not answer the prayer. He said, My grace is sufficient for you. Did not answer his prayer. Jesus himself, Jesus. Pray right before the cross, God, if there's any other way you can do it, if there's any other way out, God, I don't want to do this. Every part of humanity crying out, God, any other way, and God did not answer his prayer. So when you pray and they don't answer, I just I don't know if it's a comfort to you to know that you're in good company. Three of the most important people in the Bible did not get their prayers answered. And I think it gives credibility to the scriptures because if, if you were trying to fake that, you wouldn't include that kind of stuff in the Bible. But David prayed, God didn't answer it. Paul prayed, God didn't answer it. So let's look at these three questions again. I'm going to circle back around to the top. What does anything mean? <clears throat> so anything means anything that reveals Jesus as the Son of God. glorifies the Father. It is not the State Farm commercial. Anything does not mean anything. But it's about things that bring glory to Him. about things that are prayed in His name for His will, for His purpose. And anything also talks about the faith that we have to approach God with. We have to approach God with anything kind of faith when we pray. That God is God who can do anything. Why doesn't God answer my prayer? Second question. Remember, God answered every prayer that we prayed, we would be trading places with Him. We would be, it would be all about our will what we want. And God doesn't operate like that. He, he can't be boxed into a formula or an equation. Sometimes things are not going to go answered. And we have to trust then. talk about the relationship, the father relationship, the lens we have to look at scripture. And sometimes we have to trust in our father at that moment. It's like my kids right now. <clears throat> they ask me for things all the time that I cannot give them. And they're not even bad things sometimes. Sometimes they ask me for things that I can't, you know, when they go to, when we go to the store, every time they ask for a toy. I, some of you parents remember, oh, I remember those days, you know. That's, that's the world i around. in right now. They ask for a toy. I can't give them a toy every time because I don't want to raise spoiled rats. I want to raise good kids. And I know if I give them a toy every time, I'm going to be raising rats. And I'm not standing for that. We're not going to do that in my house. So they don't get a toy every time, even though they ask, even though it's not necessarily a bad thing. And God is the same. I think sometimes there's pain in his heart when he has to tell us no. There's sometimes there's, there's it hurts him because he's a good father. But he, at the same time, just like you as a parent, you possess a perspective that your kids absolutely cannot have. God possesses a perspective that no matter how smart we think we are, no matter how much we think we know what the best outcome for us is, God possesses a perspective that we do not have. And we have to trust in that perspective. We have to trust that he's a good father. And when our prayers go unanswered, we have to trust that he's working a plan for us. And he has good things for us. We talked about trusting God's intent last We have to trust God's intent. If God already has decided on what he's going to do, why do I need to pray? And, and the cool thing about this is, so God could totally run the universe by himself. Like He doesn't need us. I mean, he could absolutely run the universe by himself. He, he does not need our help. But the fact that he established prayer, the fact that prayer is even a thing, I think shows the intent of God's heart. That God wants to invite us into relationship. That he wants to invite us into process. He doesn't keep us at an arm's distance. He says, I want to include you. I want you to have access to me. I want you to be able to ask you for things. And I want to be able to have a relationship with you. And so prayer is about his heart. Prayer is about connecting with him. So why do we pray even though God can run it without us? We pray because... Prayer is about relationship, not about results. It's about the relationship we build with God. Prayer is about submission to the will of God. And prayer is also about trusting God on both sides of that answer. We pray because we develop that relationship with Him. Because we have that relationship, we learn to submit ourselves to His will. When we submit ourselves to His will, we have that relationship, and we can say, God, I believe you can do anything. God, I can trust you. God, I know you can. I know you can. I know you can. And when the answer comes, or when the answer doesn't come, or when the situation changes, or when the situation doesn't change, we know that we can trust in what God does. Because He's good. Because He loves us. And God, once and for all, settle. The score of his goodness on the cross. And, and, you know, I know a conversation like today, you know, still leaves a lot of idle news. And some of you are still trying to filter through those pains and those hurts, those things that happen to you. And you're like, but, but it's not good enough. I know. I know it's, sometimes it's just not good enough. And you want an answer. And, and there's just not an answer there. And if someone claims they have an answer to every situation, you run from that person. Because there's no one that does. And a lot of times we need to leave more room in our faith say, I don't know. We need to leave more room in our faith to say, I don't know what the answer to that is. We don't always have to have it figured out. But the one thing I do know is I know that I can look at the cross of Christ and see that God once and for all demonstrated his goodness and his fairness and his love for us on that cross. Because see, Church, when you and I weren't looking for him, he was looking for us. When you and I weren't searching for him, he came searching through time and space. For us, when you and I didn't love him and were openly in rebellion to him, he loved us. The whole narrative of Scripture is basically us rebelling against God and God choosing still to pursue us in spite of that rebellion. To me, that's the Bible summed up. That God pursues us in the midst of our rebellion, in the midst of our defiance, in the midst of our responsibility. That God pursues us. And he demonstrated once and for all across the Christ that he is good and that he is fair and that he loves us because, in the midst of all of that, in the midst of all of our failures, he says, I love you. And he, paid, he sent Jesus to pay the price that you or I could not pay. There's no way we can be good enough or right enough or do well enough to satisfy the justice of God. But God sent his son Jesus, who lived a perfect, sinless life, and once and for all satisfied the justice requirement. For God, and We have access to God once again. We have access to his mercy. We have access to his grace, to his love through the word of Jesus. And that's how I know that God's good. And that's how I know that God's good. And that's how even when I don't get what I want, even when I pray and those answers don't come, that I can stop and say, but God, I trust you because I believe that you're good. And I trust you because of the cross. And I trust you because of Jesus. And so God, even though I know you can do all things, God, you can do everything. God, there's nothing that you can't do. You are all powerful. You created everything, God. And you can absolutely fix this situation I'm in. At the same time, with the same thing, because of that belief, because of that trust, I can say, God, I trust what you do. I trust what you do. Whether it works out the way I want it to or not, trust you what you do, and that's the heart of the prayer of faith. That's the heart of praying for anything and believing and asking His name, that we believe that God came and we trust what God does.